You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Robert Dagan, over the rather concerning turn of events and uh, leading to unrest, um, which at first might appear to be politically and socially fueled, but are they? What is really going on behind the scenes and where are we headed? Is Zuma to blame for the unrest, the looting and the general chaos in SA? Is there something more sinister at play? Or is this all part of a not-so-secret agenda? Well, join me in a few minutes as, as we chat to Rod. But later, I'll be chatting to Louise Duval about possible unrest happening in the environmental conservation area around government's proposed conservation policy, which actually impacts lion, rhino, elephant, and leopard conservation efforts. Louise is from a fantastic organization called Blood Lions, which was established to bring an end to canned hunting and the exploitative breeding of lions and other predators. Be sure to stay tuned for that. However, right now, the big question is, what the hell is going on in our once beautiful country? And on the line, we're joined by Robert Dagan, who's a political analyst and, uh, let's say, avid historian. And he probably can perhaps uh, shed some light on, on the facts, the outcome, and what to expect going forward. Good afternoon, Rob. Welcome to the show. I trust you are well. Yes, I'm doing fantastic. Oh, good. Um, good yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's very concerning at the moment. I mean, I have relatives in the middle of the in the middle of Durban who are, you know, <laughs> in a bit of trouble. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think looking at this. I think everyone can kind of see what it is. I mean, if you want, you, you, all of the things that you'd normally expect to hear from far right reactionary types, and mm. even well, you know, you, you're getting them from your left wing uh, papers like Mail and Guardian and Daily Maverick. And Daily Maverick ran a, pa- a, a piece yesterday saying race war is imminent. So, I mean, mm. this is the kind of stuff that you usually hear from uh, sort of white nationalist groups in the United States or, you know, Saitlanders or what have you. And I think the thing is that everyone has realized that the country is coming apart for good. And uh, Richard, uh, I mean, Richard Poplak was passed a comment and he's realized, he's sort of figured, figured out the obvious that the only way to put this back in the bottle is with brutal political tyranny or through some drastic systematic change. Although here's drastic systematic change is the same one that we've been living under for 30 years now, which is progressive liberal socialism. And, you know, he says that because the state is not giving everyone universal basic income, it's we're essentially living under austerity. So, I mean, the, the, the kind of things that we're getting from our newspapers, they can see how bad everything is. They've even managed to figure uh, uh, they've even managed to see that um the core features of the violence, the structural features of the violence, are coordinated. At this stage, 
the, the way that they're analyzing it is, oh, well, they're right deviationists. You know, the same kind of language you get from, you know, the Soviet Union or um, Maoist China when there's a little bit of trouble. They say, well, oh, it's right deviationists uh, who are moving apart from, you know, the true revolution. And it's, it, it strikes me, it, it's really pathetic because none of them are offering any solutions. None of them are facing the systematic causes of this problem. They're just saying, well, poverty and corruption. Okay, but why is there poverty and corruption? Absolutely. They're not looking at, yeah, they're not looking at the structural incentives within the ruling party um, and the movement that came behind it. And they're not noticing how the fundamental values that they're pushing, these, these liberal progressive values, Form the same united foundation that justifies all all of that. So absolutely. Well, well, Rod, let's let's get one thing out out the way and, and in the open first of all. Is is this politically motivated response to to Zoom's incarceration? Is this a a response to to social poverty and and twenty seven years of of non service delivery? What is what is really going going on here? Well, the answer is always yes and no. The best way to do it is to sort of slice the problem up a little bit. If you look at what actually happened, it's that an organized team of people shut down the major transport routes um, all over the all over that all over the eastern part of the country. Their target is the Durban Johannesburg um, transport line. That's 65% of our imports and exports. Right. So that's shutting down the economy. Yeah. So that's a major thing there. Correct. That's a coordinated. So what happens, uh, the next step that they did is they went after all food stores and depots. I mean, it's, it, you actually need a map. Ordinary people don't know where supply depots are, but they were all struck very quickly. This is very coordinated and it's, it's war. This is, this is tactics of revolutionary warfare, right? Mm. You take out the food supply, you, man, you, you strip it away and you monopolize the, uh, access to supply routes. And so this is really what the tension is because ordinary people can't get hold of um, food um, supplies in any steady way. So the Citizens Defense Force, their main task at the moment is securing logistics lines. And that's going to mean active measures and lots of very dangerous sorties and all kinds of crazy shenanigans. They're, they're going to have to adapt themselves into an ad hoc army as things go. That's but, a terrifying thought, that is a terrifying thought, but um, yeah, uh, that's what needs to happen because the army and the police are absolutely useless, and many of them are participating in the rioting. As we've, and, as we've seen with the many videos, yeah. I mean, and as we said from the SSA, uh, and as we've seen from the SSA conference, um, Dlodlo was saying, you know, mm-hmm. there's people in our own security services who've been participating in the organisation of this. So that's one side. You've got an organised, you've got an organised um, shutdown. You've got organised. Uh, looting and burning of, of supplies. But here's the other thing. The second this goes on and the chaos breaks out and the police go away, disappear, and people watch um, all of this going on, everyone who's participating in this, um, down to the low levels, they have friends, they have family, word of mouth gets out within hours, and everyone realizes it's a free-for-all, and everybody goes for it. People are poor, people are hungry, and some people are just doing it because it's fun. It's not, mm. uh, let's not, let's not take that away from them. A lot of, is very exciting. So, um, and that's just a natural part of, uh, or that, that's just a natural part of, um, uh, human behavior in a society where there is no trust, there is no respect. Um, why should you, and I mean, this has been pointed out a hundred times by everyone from, you know, the economists down to wherever, as they were, all of the different takes are saying the same thing, which is, you know, why, sh- uh, why should I not steal when the president steals? 
you know, that kind of thing. So there's no yeah, moral exactly. substance left in society. That is exactly it. Why, why, if our leaders, so-called leaders, behave in that way and there's no accountability or uh, any action taken against them, it pretty much signs a get-out-of-jail-free card for for everyone in in the country, right down to uh, right down to uh, township level, right down to to our level, to everywhere. It's 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 actually a dangerous, dangerous situation. I've got a media statement from ICASA that's uh, informed of. 113 network towers have been have been damaged, and several radio stations have been have been taken out. Again, that points to a rather co- coordinated uh, attack here. Yeah, that's what, that's what, this is what a this is what a coup looks like when when you don't have when the people pushing it don't have all of the um, institutions of the state in their control. They don't have the army in their control, but they but a lot of people clearly from what's been coming out, they have. Some of the, a lot of people who are in KZN, a lot of people who are in the civil service, and a fair few people who are in the intelligence services, and the police are aligned with this. But you mm. don't see a lot of. Um, it's, I, they clearly don't have all the branches of government, and clearly they don't have anyone in the executive. And the reason for that is that um, Sol Ramaphosa has purged the executive from of anyone who's in the RET faction. And he's been unplugging their, their patronage for a while now. Yeah, and he definitely has. Zuma, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that Zuma is really conducting everything right now. I would suggest that at this stage he's probably more of a figurehead. And yes. this is a catalyst. And, I mean, look, his family will be part of this patronage network. Many people in the ANC, I mean, about half by, by, by number will be part of this patronage network and they'll have been grumbling from being purged and kicked out of the hierarchy and sent to meaningless posts and um, mm. you know eventually eventually they're going to they're, they were going to try and do something to claw their way back or they would be you know left yeah. with in the and That's so funny. this is what they've come up with it's not anything new this isn't really a revelation to anyone it's there's the RET faction and then there's Ramaphosa's sort of uh, weird alliance between global neoliberalism and domestic communism. It's very, very strange. But I mean, what I thought would be interesting is to, to, to notice is the comment, is the, the coverage of Swaziland compared to what's going on in here. Because they're more or less the same, they're more or less the same phenomenon. Except that while they are, uh, but the, while, but on the other hand, people in Swaziland, they're called pro-democracy protesters. Now, to some degree, this is true, but the people who are taking charge are largely communist groups like the um, Swaziland Solidarity Network and members of the EFF. And wow. yeah, the, the, so these these things you notice the way that it's covered. They don't mention who the factions are, what they want, or any criticism of them. They just call them pro-democracy protesters. What's happening over here in South Africa is that everyone has decided that Zuma is now this. Uh, is now this evil enemy of progress and freedom and so on and so forth. But, I mean, I think everyone realizes that whatever we're calling democracy here in South Africa is, it's almost a meaningless epithet. What does it even mean to say that South Africa is a democracy? I mean, no one on the ground has had any input into policy design at the national level. And it takes extraordinary effort, as, as you well know, 
to, to, to get the ball rolling, to nudge people into paying attention to anything ordinary people have an interest in. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the idea that democracy is something that is inherent in any system is quite quite flawed. It's a terrible idea. Um, you know, the democracy means you know rule or power of the people. Only way that that really exists is if the people decide to assert power. Yes. So, I mean, you can you can call something a democracy because it has certain procedures in place, but. I mean, what does that really mean? Uh, you can look at the United States, where any populist candidate is immediately descended upon with the full force of the uh, of the national intelligence infrastructure and the um, and the uh, and the legacy media. I mean, Donald Trump wasn't a great president. Let's not kid ourselves. But what he was subjected to was extremely unusual. I don't think that, and I mean, everyone can see that that was an unprecedented level of abuse of power by almost every institution, not only in civil society, but also the state. And are we seeing that in South Africa? Well, it's very interesting. Someone drew someone drew a parallel here where they said, um, <clears throat> there was an, people were talking about, um, uh, you know, the intelligence infrastructure trying to unseat a sitting president with, uh, by unleashing rioting, mm-hmm. saying that's sort of like, well, we can of course say that now in South Africa, but you know, if you if you were speaking a year ago when when the same when the same kind of nonsense was happening in America, you'd be you'd be banned off public platforms. So uh, that is true. This, this, yeah, I mean, this is the difference between um, I mean, this is the difference between you know who has the power over here. In in South Africa, Saul Ramaphosa has the press on his side. They're going to defend him no matter what he does. Yeah, but then again, you've got like the Mail and Guardian that's indirectly owned by the Open, Open Society Foundation. They're an extremely corrupt um, uh, group of people. Um, they, I mean, uh, AfriForum's got some internal research that they're, they're working on about the, 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 the media bias uh, in terms of, in particular, the reporting on violent crime. And mm-hmm. I had a sneak peek at that a couple of weeks ago. And it's really atrocious. Uh, Mail Guardian is by far the most racially biased publication in the country. That's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to quote figures now because I don't have the paper in front of me, but it's it's, it's really extraordinary. Mm. Um, what is the what is the goal here? I mean, is it to destabilize the economy? Is it um, no, I think, uh, economic? I, I, I think, what, what's going on really? I think the difficulty is that it's it's simple power structure. They know that they're they're under threat and they're going to get rounded up, and so they have to bring the government to the negotiating table. This is kind of what the ANC uh, did in the old days, uh, and the tactics are the same. You make your enemy's territory ungovernable. You make mm. it so painful and expensive to try and uh, to try and enforce the law. Think what think what Ramaphosa would have to do to actually restore order. He's going to have to organize an invasion into into KwaZulu Natal and violently recapture large swathes of territory and hold it with the military. Exactly. How many people do you think? Yeah, how many people do you think are going to die? I mean, look, the People's War. The official toll for the number of people that the ANC killed during that period was 20,000. You look at the homicide rate, you look at the homicide rate, and you just go, I mean, anyone can do this. You go to Wikipedia and you look up crime in South Africa. And they quote this, they, they, they quote this, uh, graph that they took from Africa Check, who took it from national, uh, uh, police statistics. And it's a hundred year graph of the crime in South Africa. And you'll see from 1979 till 1993, there's an enormous spike. Absolutely enormous spike in in the homicide rate in South Africa. 
That's the people's war. The ANC terrorizing and murdering anyone who doesn't join their organization and cooperate with them across the country. That's now, terrifying. That's, that's absolutely right, terrifying. So, right. So try and imagine what they're trying to imagine this again, but now, uh, but with, but where the government is not afraid to deploy the military everywhere. And the military are now incompetent and corrupt, and no one will restrain, and there's no one to restrain them. And Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that's what you have to imagine Ramaphosa will have to do if he wants to settle this in violent terms. And, and uh, how, how would he do that? Through a, through a state of emergency? I mean, I mean we've had several yeah, calls for the first state of emergency. Uh, yeah, we, we've it's, already got a state of emergency. I mean, this stuff, the, the, that part of it is easy. I mean, don't worry about the procedure. The issue is the decisions that he has to make. He has to choose between whether or not he's going to turn the country into a dictatorship or whether he's going to, going to negotiate with uh, the other faction in the ANC. But he knows full well that if he negotiates with the other faction in the ANC, they'll unroot, uh, unseat him. And the second that he shows weakness and failure to control his own organization and failure to implement the policies that the international community and the mineral energy complex and the financial institutions want, then he will be in deep deep shit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, language. He will not He will not be able to maintain his position. All of a sudden, the press will turn against him. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll show him as ineffective and weak. So he's really but, caught between, between a rock and a hard place there when it comes to making uh, decisions that are in favor of South Africans and the well-being of, of our economy and the future well-being of, of, of our country. What can we as ordinary citizens do? Is, is there anything that we can, that we can take upon ourselves to, call, and I'm not, I'm not talking about picking up arms. I'm talking about two, effective mechanisms. Things. You have to understand people who are on the ground who can see this chaos. Everybody needs to know two things. They need to know that there's someone who's got their back. And they need to know that there's a future. Everyone knows that South Africa does not have a future. This country was not built by people. It was built by, fo- by a foreign, um, a foreign entity. British MP, uh, and the round table group, Cecil Rhodes, that crowd. This was entirely a commercial enterprise, and the attempt to consolidate this country was the creation uh, was the enforcement of a whole bunch of artificial ideological constructs designed to make us loyal to this corporate resource extraction entity. And th- this is what South Africa is. It's not a real country, and we're seeing this now. None of the actual uh, desires, none of the none of the interests, none of the culture of the people in South Africa is represented in its government. It's a progressive, internationalist, um, neoliberal, whatever you want to call it. None of these old ideological terms really match anymore. Mm-hmm. But what it is, but what it is, is it's it's a darling of the Atlantic, um, of the Atlantic power structure, the, the 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 Atlantic community, as they like to call themselves. Yeah, so and that, that's, what we need. What it's we terrifying need, thoughts, but what is the solution? Personally, I believe that we would be better off as separate countries. That's my personal belief. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not the belief of the organisation for which I work. I have to say, it's not. It's not the belief of AfriForum. Mm-hmm. AfriForum still wishes to preserve the rule of law and uh, as it is. As much as they can. But I personally, in my personal capacity, I'm, I'm a Cape nationalist. I believe in the Cape. I believe that it is a community that, that while variegated and different, has an understanding of what it is mm-hmm. and has a right, has a right to pursue its own values and its own culture in its own sphere. 
I believe the same for the Zulu people. If they, if, if they ever aspire together to want to be a separate nation, they're entitled to that. And I think that as long as South Africa is together, the only way it can be held together is either with a brutal dictatorship or with ethnic supremacy, whether it's Zulu supremacy, black supremacy, white supremacy, whatever, what have you. South Africa can't hold together as a commonwealth because there's no real commonwealth here. There's a whole bunch of different communities that are being ruled by a state that respects none of their rights, none of their interests, none of their culture. And pure and, and the pure the ethos of extraction and theft is not just something in the private sector, what people like to call white monopoly capital, which isn't a white monopoly anymore, not by anyone's not by any stretch of the imagination. It's a culture that is uh, it's a culture of raw, raw brute materialism that is shared by most members of the uh, of the ruling class and is defended by by naive members of the press and academia who can't tell that their ideas are supporting the system. Mm, that's just, that's a absolutely terrifying thought. You know, there's a, a rather interesting private members bill that's been introduced recently uh, to amend the uh, the referendum referendum act and well, that that poses a few opportunities for premiers of provinces to actually hold their own own referendums. Do you think that'll be that's a good step in in the in the right direction to start introducing provincial autonomy? I think that's I think that's a good first step. I think that any devolution of power is essential, um, especially in the Western Cape. The Western Cape is the only place that currently has the institutional capacity. They've already st- we've already started building um, due to initiatives by Michael Whitfield of the of the DA. There's already uh, public-private partnerships between um, the uh, local municipalities, farm watchers, private security. They coordinate their uh, they co- coordinate at the local municipal level. There's efforts to expand localized policing. You know the leap units and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the special gang units and so on. These people, these are essential. This is the way forward. But the problem is the other provinces don't have the chias. They don't have that that sense of self, that sense of autonomy. That's what's required. It's a consciousness shift. So the Cape understands themselves. Uh, we understand ourselves as different from the rest of the country, mm-hmm. not just because you know we're ethnically different or Western or so on. Or, uh, you know. We, we understand that we are already constituted as something which has a separate center of power. The rest of the country doesn't have it. The Zulus sort of have it, but they yeah. don't know wh- whether they want to be black first or Zulu first. And so the part province is divided. That's, that's quite sad. Or sad, Nick, but you put it that way. Rob, we've unfortunately run out of time. It's actually been a wonderful chat. And I'm, as usual, I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours and hours of, on the many nuances in, in this topic. But thank you for your time. I know you've got a, an important meeting to get to. And yeah, well, thanks for uh, bringing some insight into, into what's really going on in this country for, for our listeners. And I hope that did actually provide some value. It certainly did for me. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.